All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. When I was going to school in Redding, California, I, uh, I used to longboard around the city at 1 a.m. Because, uh, you know, when you're in college, you don't have any kids, and uh, you can do that, right? <laughs> and I would longboard around the city at 1 a.m. because there's virtually no cars, and I don't have to worry about getting hit by a truck or anything. So I thought, I lived up on top of this hill, and I decided that at 1 a.m. I'm going to speed down this hill into the city, and I was, I was approaching a traffic light. It was, it was in front of me. It was still quite a ways away, and the light was green. I was thinking, I'm going to speed right through this intersection. But as I approached the intersection, I looked to my left, and there's a truck that's waiting at the intersection. And I pray in that moment, Lord, keep this light green so I can get through the intersection. And wouldn't you know, the light turns yellow as I'm getting closer, and I have to make a decision. I'm either going to just go for it and hopefully beat this truck and hope that this person sees me, or there's a flower bed off to the side that I can bail out onto, and I'm already going 15, 20 miles an hour just barreling down this hill, and I make the decision, you know what, I'm going to bail. So I jump off of the longboard. I do a couple somersaults into this flower bed, get a couple bruises and scratches. And I look up to see my longboard enter the intersection. And this truck just crushes my longboard in half, just annihilates the longboard. And I think that would have been me. I almost got crushed. It crushed my longboard into two different pieces. And I fortunately was able to just kind of like shear off one of the, I just replaced the truck. I made like a little board uh, out of my longboard. Uh, But it was a stupid circumstance, right? It was a stupid thing to do. And I was the only person to blame for that situation. You know, here's the point. Our sin, sin is 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 a bad word. We don't like to talk about sin a whole lot. But sin just means disobedience from God. It means to miss the mark, to miss the design that God has for our life. And when we disobey God, when we live in sin... It places us on a downward slope. And if we catch it early, if we catch our sin early, the consequences won't nearly be as bad as when we deal with it later on. And if we let it continue. And even when we are speeding down a hill of sin, God places a flower bed. God's grace places a flower bed for us to jump into And it's moments of grace that provide an exit for our life. See, you still suffer the consequences, right? But it's better than suffering spiritual death. The fault is only ours when we sin. And nobody can be blamed for our decisions. Your decisions are yours alone. You can't blame anybody else. For Now, I know that maybe some of you grew up in terrible homes and you might have bitterness towards your parents. So you might you might think that uh, that the hand that you were dealt were unfair, but you still have control over your decisions. You still have control over your life. Nobody can be blamed for them. But sin is not sin. Not sin. Not only has future consequences. The Bible says in Romans 623 that the wages of sin is death. But our sin also has present consequences. When you tell a lie, your relationships are damaged because of mistrust, right? If you steal or you murder or you destroy someone else's property, you're going to spend time in prison. 
And not, sin not only has future consequences, but it also has present consequences as well. Both future punishment and present punishment are forms of God's wrath. Whew, I just used the W word on a Sunday morning. Welcome to church. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about God's judgment, about God's wrath this morning. And uh, don't worry, it's got a, it's got, it, we end on a high note here. We're going to end on a positive note. But we don't like that word. We don't like the word wrath or judgment. We'd rather talk about God's grace and his mercy. But here's the reality. God has to be just in order for him to be good. Right? He has to punish evil because he's righteous and he watches over the righteous. Would a good judge allow a murderer to walk free? If you were sitting in a courtroom... And the judge says to a murderer, you're free to go. There's no consequences. Is that justice for the family who lost the loved one? No. Would a good judge let someone get away with stealing? Is that justice from the innocent one who was robbed? No, in order for God to be good, he has to be just. He is both 100% loving and merciful and, both, and also 100% just and right and true. He's not 50% that and 50%. There aren't days where he's more loving than he is just or days where he's more just than he's loving. No, he is all the time 100% both just and loving, full of grace and mercy. Why would a good God allow people to go to hell for eternity, pastor? Because he truly cares about justice. But we know from the Bible that God's desire is that nobody should perish. That is not his heart. That's not his will. We see in 2 Peter 3, 9. This is what Peter says when he's talking about the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. Saying that like the Lord is saying he's returning. He's coming again. Coming again. The day of judgment is coming. He is not slow to fulfill this promise. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. His heart is full of patience for you. As you are on a slippery slope downhill, some of you, God is patient with you. He wants all to repent, all to come to Jesus so that no one should perish. And the great news for followers of Jesus is that God's future wrath was poured out completely on Jesus while he was crucified. In order to avoid the reign of God's wrath, so to, speak, so to speak, you only need to come under the umbrella of Christ. That God poured out his wrath. He poured out his, his justice upon sin. It was all poured out on Jesus. So now all we have to do to avoid the consequences of our sin is we come under Christ. And we claim his blood on our life. And we come under the covering of of Jesus, And when God looks at those who have claimed Jesus, he does not see your past, your present, and your future mistakes. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. That word is the word justified. Paul talks a lot about this in the book of Romans. The word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That when the Lord looks at you and you've been justified, it's just as if you've never sinned. Ephesians 5 Verses 3 through 6. We're going to continue where we left off last week. Last week we talked a lot about um, 
Paul, Paul, we talked about all the behaviors that, that we are supposed to imitate of God, right? The qualities of the new man. We talked all about, about the, the things that we are supposed to reflect from God's character. And in this section, Paul talks about the behaviors that Christians are to avoid. And he uses the word wrath at some point. And so Ephesians 5, 3 through 6, it says this. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's a little heavy. We're going to pause there. This is a sobering and firm passage from Scripture. And for me, it raises a lot of questions. I ask myself a lot of questions about God's wrath. Like this one. If I commit sexual sin or I tell an inappropriate joke, does that mean I'm automatically discluded from God's kingdom because I'm a son of disobedience? What defines someone who is a son of disobedience? Or how many chances do I get before I'm considered one of those sons of disobedience? How close to the line can I walk? How close to the edge can I get before I slip over? And those are the wrong questions to be asking. Firstly, we have to, we have to nail this down. We've talked about this all throughout this series so far. Firstly, Paul has already emphatically explained that those in Christ no longer follow the devil, no longer follow the flesh or the world. They are new creations, and they're filled with God's Spirit as a seal of their salvation. That is the promise. That is the truth. That we are new creations, we've been sealed with the Spirit. Paul is speaking about those who are not yet in Christ. Those who actively practice these things. Who actively participate in these things. However, Christians, we still struggle with sin, don't we? Raise your hand if you don't struggle with sin. (laughs) I was going to catch some of you there. Right? We still struggle with sin, even the ones that Paul mentions. We still struggle with sexual sin, with covetousness, with idolatry, and crude joking. All of these things are on Paul's list that he said that we're not supposed to imitate. So if I'm a new creation, why do I still struggle with sin? I, 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 I'm supposed to be free from this stuff. Why do I still struggle with sin? Here's why. It's because even though you have been justified, you've been made right with God, you are still being sanctified. You are still being made to look like Jesus. You're in a process. And that is where God's grace is necessary for our lives. Because we do not say the prayer, accept Jesus into our heart, and bam, we are perfect, full, and complete. We wake up the next day full of patience and love and grace for people, and we don't We don't struggle with sin anymore. That's not how it works. No, we say yes to Jesus and we're justified, but then we are continually being sanctified. 
made to look more and more like Jesus. Jesus often proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning that he brought God's presence and power to the earth when he was born as a baby in the manger. The kingdom of heaven came down to earth, and we could see God face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of heaven is still not fully realized like it will be when Jesus returns. It's now, but not yet. There's a tension that we live in. That Jesus brought the reality of the kingdom of heaven down. That we have access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit. We have access to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. But we still struggle with sin. And one day the sin will cease and we will see God face to face. And the kingdom of heaven will fully come down. And likewise, you've been given a new nature. And God's spirit is in you. But you have not been made complete and mature yet. You still struggle with sin. But this fullness will happen when Jesus returns. When Jesus comes back, he promises to give us new bodies. He promises to wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no crying, no weeping, no sorrow, no sin, no war. But God's kingdom will be fully realized in the future. And here it's the same thing with God's wrath. That God's wrath can be observed in the consequences of sin, but will be fully delivered to those who practice evil and are not in Christ in the future. There is a present and a future form of God's wrath. Let me explain this a little bit more with three points before we continue. Number one about God's wrath is God's present present wrath is largely passive. His future wrath is active. His present wrath is largely passive. What do I mean by that? Well, God designed the world to function best when it is in harmony with God's will. If you've ever seen a beautiful, maybe you're a mechanic and you've seen a beautiful engine or you've seen a beautiful painting and it was just crafted masterfully and each brushstroke and each color was selected intricately. God designed the world to function in such a way that it, it, is be, it best functions when it is in harmony with God's will. People are blessed when they obey God's word and they imitate Christ. And people experience pain when they do not reflect God's will. Let's, since Paul uses this as an example, let's use sex as an example. God designed sex as a beautiful blessing between a married man and and a woman. And when used according to God's design, sex is this powerful experience that binds two people together and it creates deep intimacy and ultimately it produces children. A great blessing. And it isn't difficult to see when you look in the world around us, it's not difficult to see how sex outside of God's design creates all kinds of issues. STDs, unplanned pregnancies that end in end in abortion. Deep wounds, when two people separate, they they have sex outside of marriage, and then they split up, and there's these deep wounds because a piece of you leaves with that other person. Infidelity destroys marriages. It destroys families. When sex is not used within the design of God, it is destructive. And God designed the world like this, 
to function best within his will. It is in, in harmony. We align ourselves with God when we follow his word. The consequences of sin is a passive form of God's wrath, like getting dirt inside of an engine or throwing a splatter of paint on a beautiful painting. When sin is introduced to a perfect design, it will disrupt. And we are the ones that introduce sin to the perfect design. That's what we did in Genesis. Does that mean that God is ultimately to blame when we experience pain? No, he's the one who designed the perfect world. When we look at Genesis, and it was humanity that caused its downfall. God is the one who provided Jesus as an answer to our sin, as an answer to our mistake. God, who's full of grace, full of love for us, gave us Jesus so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. He does not want to pour his wrath out on people, but he is just. And in order for him to be good, he has to be just. But God in the future will still bring ultimate justice and establish a fully realized kingdom in the future. And everyone who comes under the covering of Christ is free from God's wrath. But anyone who has not received the forgiveness of Jesus will experience God's justice. And I do not want to be on that side. I want to be under the covering of Christ. It is a free gift. It's a free gift for you and I. We don't have to do anything to earn it. Jesus paid the full price. So we just receive the gift of Jesus by faith. That's what Paul says. Here's number two about God's wrath. God's present wrath allows sin to increase. God's future wrath will put an end to sin, causing it to cease. What does that mean? God's present wrath punishes men by giving them what they want. God's present wrath gives men more rope so to speak, allowing them to plunge more deeply into sin. And this seems wrong to some of us, especially those parents among us who, who, who think, I would never allow my children to just keep going, keep doing what they're doing. But if we think about this a little, we can explain why God deals with sin this way. I'm reminded of the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13. And if you don't know this parable, it's Uh, there's an evil one who comes in this parable and he sows tares, he sows weeds among the wheat which have already been sown. And the workers, they go and they tell their master that somebody has come and they've sown tares among the wheat. And they they say, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to just take out the whole field? And he says, no, I want you to wait. Let them both grow up together. Let the wheat and the tares both grow up together. And when they have fully matured, both the wheat and the tares will be evident. It will be easier to identify them so that the tares may be pulled out and burned. It's a sobering passage. In fact, if you look at a picture of a tare and put it right next to a, 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 a head of wheat, they look almost identical. It's very hard to see the difference. And Jesus is making this point is that God allows sin to increase to the point where it becomes more visible. When sin is seen for what it is, men may, in the providence and grace of God, they desire to be delivered from it. It is those, get this, it is those who have drunk most deeply from the cup of sin who may be ready to give it up. 
See, God allows us sometimes to drink deeply from the cup of sin to where it makes our stomachs sour and it makes us hate it. We say, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I continuing down this road? And those who are sickened by it and who want to be forgiven and delivered often are. They turn to Jesus. There's the story of the prodigal son as the example. We hear the story of this young man who comes to his father and spits in his face basically and tells him, I want my inheritance. Give it to me now. And the father doesn't say, no, I know what you're going to do with it. You're going to squander it. You're going to waste it away. You're going to ruin your life. I'm not giving you this money. What does he do? He gives it to him. And he says, all right. If this is what it's going to take for you to experience grace in the future, I'm going to let this increase in your life. And it gets all the way to the point where the young man is in a pig pen. And he's eating slop with the pigs. And he's at the bottom of the barrel when he finally realizes the servants in my father's house have it better than I have here. I'm going to go back to my dad's house. You see, this is how God works in our life sometimes. Is that, and parents, this is a hard one for me. But maybe you have a child who is walking away from the Lord and all you want to do is just text them every day a new scripture verse. And you want to... You want to pull them back in and you want to tell them enough is enough. And I'm, I'm putting my foot down. You know what God did? He said, I'm going to let you go for this season. Because you truly need to experience how much you need grace in order to receive it. If you don't understand how much you need grace, then you're not going to be willing to receive it. And so God's present wrath allows sin to increase in our lives, but his future wrath, he will make it all cease. He will put an end to sin once and for all. And this goes into our third point. God's present wrath is reversible. God's future wrath is not. What do I mean by that? God's present wrath is really a gracious gesture on God's part. What do I mean by that? It's not permanent. And it's not irreversible. When God gives men over to sin, he's not giving up on the man. He's not giving up on the woman. When he gives people over to sin, he's saying, I'm not giving up on you. I'm letting you experience what you need to experience in order to turn to me. Giving men and women over to sin is God's way of encouraging them to forsake their sin and to be saved. It's like heading down the hill on the longboard. It's better to experience the wrath of the flower bed than the wrath of the oncoming truck. And sometimes God says, I'm going to let you experience the wrath of the flower bed. You've got to do a couple tumbles to realize how stupid that was. While God's future wrath once in force, cannot be reversed or escaped. God's present wrath, it can be reversed, and men can escape it, men and women. The reason for this is that God has already, like we talked about, he's already poured his future wrath on Jesus Christ. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is what we share with the world, that God's anger towards sin has been satisfied in Christ because his wrath was already poured out on Jesus at Calvary. Jesus suffered the full wrath of God. And so when we sin, we come under the 
umbrella of Jesus Christ who already took on the wrath of God and we experience grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing from God. And those who, yeah, amen. Those who don't come under the umbrella of God are, are forsaking that free gift and are, are, are deserving of that wrath themselves, are going to receive that wrath themselves. And so Jesus provided himself as a means of saying, I'm taking this all. I'm taking all of God's wrath. You don't have to do anything. Just come to me now. Come to me and don't experience the justice of my father because we know that God is good and he has to be just, right? It cannot be escaped. God God punishes evil. But he also sent his son Jesus so that we wouldn't have to experience his wrath. Have you accepted God's forgiveness in Christ? Those who have trusted in Christ, they've already been punished in him. Do you understand that? Paul says that you have been crucified with Christ. You have been buried with Christ. Those of you who are in Christ, you've already received the punishment. No man needs to suffer God's eternal wrath. Christ suffered it for us. But those who trust in him may share in God's salvation through him. And God's future wrath falls only on those who reject the suffering of Jesus Christ. Bearing God's wrath in their own place. How tragic is that? Let's continue reading Ephesians, what Paul says after this. You still with me? Verse 7. He says, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. There's that word walk again. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things That they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say, you are in the light. He doesn't say, you are like light. He says, you are light. Writing to the church. You are light. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill. There is no darkness in light. Darkness is the absence of light. And if we are light in the Lord, I want to talk about all the things that light provides. And for the last few minutes as we close, talk about What does light do? What does it mean that you are the light, that I am the light, that the church is light? First of all, it's not our light, is it? It is the light of Jesus. And we reflect, we imitate his light. We talked about the moon last week, that the moon has no light on its own. It's just a reflection of the light from the sun. We have no light on our own, but we reflect and we imitate the light of Jesus. What does it mean 
to be the light of Jesus? Well, light provides, number one, illumination and vision, obviously. (laughs) Perhaps it's the most obvious function of light. Light reflects off of the objects and it enters our eyes where it is detected by specialized cells called photoreceptors. And these cells convert light into electrical signals that are sent to the brain, allowing us to perceive the world around us. See, the light of Jesus that we carry illuminates truth to the world around us. We are the light of the world. And when we shine into the darkness, we bring truth. We illuminate God and allow people to see him when we go from place to place. The light brings vision to people who cannot see their purpose in life. It gives them new meaning. I know so many people, so many young people who have no idea why they're alive. They have no purpose or meaning for their life. They, they, feel, they feel like they're still just figuring out. And boy, that's, that's every young person. We all go through that season. But when you look at your life through the lens of Christ, when you look at yourself through the lens of Jesus, you see that you have a purpose, a, per, a plan and a purpose, not only to be loved by God, but to reflect him to the world around you, to share his love with people around you. You were created for relationship with God and relationship with his church. You were created for relationship, to be loved, to belong. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And when you walk in the light, when you are the light in the darkness, that vision spills off of you onto others and they see, I know now why I'm alive. I can see now what the purpose of my life is. I'm not blinded by the truth anymore. His word, his his truth has been illuminated to me. We are walking vessels. Number two, what else does light do? Light provides energy. Especially sunlight, it's a primary source of energy for many living organisms on earth. It's this process called photosynthesis, taking you back to the fifth grade. Plants use sunlight to convert carbon dioxide and water into glucose and oxygen, providing energy for their growth and releasing oxygen into the atmosphere, which is vital for other life forms. Light provides energy. When people are discouraged, when people are heavy-hearted, The light that you carry brings encouragement. It revitalizes their life. It rejuvenates people. This is what Jesus had planned all along for the church to be, that wherever his church goes, wherever somebody who follows Christ goes, wherever they go, they bring energy to the world around them. They bring the light of Jesus to the world around them. Number three, light brings warmth. It brings warmth. Brings heat energy, sunlight, other sources. They light up surfaces. They light up things. It brings warmth to people's life. You notice that I found this just kind of, this is a side note. I was, I was on a walk with my kids the other day, and I was wearing a black shirt like this one. It was hot. And, man, when you're wearing a black shirt on a summer day, it's just bad news. <laughs> it's hot. And it's because... Dark colors absorb light more. It produces more heat. Isn't that kind of a good picture of what God's light does to darkness? That the darker it is, the more warmth it receives. The more heat 
it experiences. And light colors, they reflect light, right? But the light of Jesus provides warmth to a cold world around them. There are people in our community who feel cold and distant. They feel brokenhearted. And when the light of Jesus steps into a room, they are warmed and they're heated. And sometimes the darkness really feels that heat. Light brings warmth, heat to the world around us. What else does light do? Light also brings direction. Light has been historically been used uh, for navigation. Think of a lighthouse. A lighthouse that it emits a strong beam of light to guide ships safely through hazardous waters. Navigation lights on an aircraft, vehicles. It helps them remain visible and, and, and safely travel distances. Light provides direction for people. Not only for our lives, but for the lives of people around us. That when they experience the light of Jesus, it gives them direction. It helps them navigate the hazardous waters of life. It's a lighthouse. It is a beacon I'm going to invite Mary to come up as we close with these final two things. What else does light do? Light is used for communication. Think of fiber optic cables that use light signals to transmit vast amounts of data quickly over long distances. It's the backbone of our telecommunication system that we have today, but light is used for communication. And in the same way, you and I, just like the priests of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Israelites had priests that they would go to, and the priests served as this mediation point between God and humanity. And if you wanted to get close to God and make sacrifices, you had to go to the priest. And what we know now is that uh, you are now the royal priesthood, that the veil was torn, and Jesus is our high priest, and he's commissioned the church, the whole church, to be priest, a royal priesthood. And so now you are the direct communication line between God and humanity. You bring God wherever you go. You connect people to God's presence wherever you go. You open up a line of communication wherever you go. And when somebody says, I don't know how to hear the voice of God. I, I don't, I've never experienced God's presence. I don't know if he's even real. When you step into a room, you open up a line of communication and say, this is how you connect with God. I got him on the line for you. He wants to talk to you. Light brings communication. And lastly, light provides healing. Light is used in various medical procedures and technologies. My wife had LASIK eye surgery before we got married, and it just gave her 20-20 vision immediately. The power of light. It's used in eye treatments, cosmetic treatments. We think of phototherapy. What do you do when a baby has jaundice? You put it under the light, right? Our bodies need vitamin D. We need the sunlight. It provides healing for our bodies. And when you step into a room, you are light. You bring healing to the world around you. Paul says, you are light. You are not darkness. Walk as children of the light. Because wherever you go, wherever you go, you bring illumination and vision to other people. You bring energy to a discouraged and hopeless world. You bring warmth 
and heat to those who need to feel God's love. You bring direction and help people to navigate hazardous waters in their life. You bring communication and provide a direct access to God's presence. And you bring healing to people's lives. Walk as children of the light, because you are light. We no longer have to fear God's wrath. We've already experienced We've already experienced God's punishment in Jesus because we've been crucified with Christ. Would you stand with me? I want to invite some of you to make a decision today. Maybe some of you have not come under the covering of Jesus. You've never, you've never <clears throat> declared with your mouth. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe some of you have never made that confession with your mouth before. You've never said that Jesus is your Lord. He's your Savior. And maybe you look at your life and you realize that you're walking in darkness. That the fruit of your life, you look at the fruit and you just see, I'm not walking in light. And this morning, I want to give you an invitation to come under the covering of Jesus and receive his grace. Because he took the punishment for you. You do not have to experience God's wrath. He took it for you. And we just need to receive God's grace. And so would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. If you're in this place, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to bring you up on stage. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you say, I want to come under the covering of Jesus, I've never confess with my mouth that he's my Lord. I've never made him my Savior. If that's you this morning, you say, I want to receive the grace of Jesus who took on the wrath of God, who took on the punishment for my sin. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now for me to see? Raise it high. Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else? Don't let this moment pass you by. I believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring some of your hearts right now. Raise your hand high for me to see because I want to pray with you in just a moment. You can put your hands down. Would, you, would everybody repeat this after me? Jesus, I love you. And I say that you are my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me walk as one of your children child of the light I turn away from the way that I was living and I choose to move towards you thank you for your love thank you for your mercy amen praise you praise you Jesus you know I had this this picture before we got started and I feel like I'm supposed to share it now but I I had this picture of a a stronghold or a fortress and inside of the city walls inside of the fortress walls there was life going on normally just business as usual but outside the city walls there was chaos there was a war raging it was just havoc and I felt like God spoke to me and just said that this is what his peace is like Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the assurance of who he is in the midst of conflict. 
knowing that nothing can penetrate these walls. That as long as I am in Christ, I'm safe. I just feel like there are people in here, you need to hear that God's peace has everything you need. It is enough for you. And so as we go out this week and we're faced with different struggles, with depression, with financial difficulties, with anxiety, with physical ailments, know that God's peace is truly enough for you. Shalom. It is enough for you. Jesus, I pray that we would all experience your peace and that it would surpass all of our understanding. We love you. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen, amen. You know what? I'm going to invite the ministry teams to come forward as Mary plays. And um, if you made a decision for Jesus today, I want you to come to one of these people and pray with them and tell them that you made a decision for Jesus today. And if you need encouragement, if you need prayer, find somebody who's going to be up here on the stage to pray with you. God bless you, church. The rest of you are dismissed. But if you need prayer, please come forward.